Hey guys, Kurt from the future here. You might notice in this episode that Luis sounds like he's recording from inside a bowl of Rice Krispies. Unfortunately, his microphone had some problems that we didn't catch until after we were done recording, but this podcast pledges to be 100% Rice Krispie free by next episode. Okay, here's the show. He's seen everything. He's done everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's just <laughs> runs and keeps running. And yeah, what's he, really he doing is. now? Oh, he's in some bayou somewhere fighting an alligator. Like, what is going on? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unbelievable, the podcast where I tell my good friend Luis two unbelievable stories from history. One of them is true, one of them is false. And I try to figure out which is which. Astute listeners may remember from last episode that we recorded on my birthday. Well, guess what? We record multiple episodes in the same day, so it's still my birthday. That's a little little industry secret for you. And of course, as you know, that means Luis is contractually obligated to let me win. So if he guesses the correct story, make sure you send him lots of hate, <laughs> hate mail, mail, a few death threats in there. Just, not a lot of death threats, because I'm not in poor taste, but just like three would be Adequate pretty good. Adequate amount of, of I don't death know. threats. A reasonable. If he guesses it right away, I will dox him. So <laughs> just factor that into your decision-making process, Luis. <laughs> Better be very careful with how this episode turns out or else my IP address, yeah, my you're IP all, address yeah. is going to be out for the world to see. <laughs> On that note, before I jump into uh, these two stories, Luis, do you have a fast fact for me I do. that I can decide is either true or false? Kurt, I'm glad you asked me because I, you know what? I think I do. You have just the, the fastest fact. I have just the thing for you. You know, I am known for my Ooh. speed. That's not true. I've heard a lot of people refer to you as slow. All right, Kurt. A lot of those people was you. So please be kind. It's my birthday, Luis. Let me bully you. Kurt, do not use this as an excuse. <laughs> as, as if, if, that as has, if I don't as bully if, you yeah. the other 364 yeah, days if, of the as year. If, as if that has not stopped you ever. Right. Yeah, it's true. It's anyway, true. I'm going to go ahead and go to a fact, Kurt, if that's okay with you. Yeah, you have my permission. Well, thanks, Kurt. Now, <laughs> quick little uh, fact, Kurt, a question for you. Mexican culture, are Mexican people a mix of Spanish and indigenous people? When we think of us of a mixed race, a mixed culture, a Creole culture, if you will, are Mexicans mm -hmm. Spanish and indigenous or let's put it this way american and european okay we're back in the the region of fast facts that may get me canceled yet i press on i know it's your birthday but i want to keep you sweating all right i i feel like this is one of these fast facts that that I, seems simple which makes me worry that i'm missing something obvious but obviously the word mexico comes from mexica answer the damn and, question you know <laughs> Like uh, DNA wise, huh? Kurt, don't be afraid. <laughs> I'm getting there. Okay, DNA wise, I I would say yeah, it's correct to say that uh that Mexican people are a combination of indigenous and Spanish ancestry, and the culture is also a combination of indigenous and Spanish ancestry. So I think that's true that it it is a combination. But I'm guessing you're gonna hit me with some technicality. So come on, bring it on. I'm going to give you a quick little. Uh, misconception is that yes we have spanish in us yes we have indigenous but once the stool that we're that mexico is sitting on the three-legged stool that we're sitting on has spanish a spanish leg an indigenous leg and an african leg kurt mexican culture oh that's that's so cheating because i it's not like i didn't know that i didn't know listen, that that was an option i thought you were asking me is it is it true that listen, these two kurt, things are in the mix just another another example of erasure uh, of African culture in Mexico, <laughs> and you're doing it. You erased it. You were the one who made the question. Well, anyway, this is just a, a way for me to to bring down that misconception that uh, Latin America and Mexico, in particular, is exclusively Spanish and indigenous because mexico wouldn't be mexico mexican culture wouldn't be mexican culture if it weren't for africa and the african roots especially particularly the west african roots that permeate through all of mexican mm -hmm. culture and tradition and language and foods for example kurt black beans and rice thanks africa the the, the neighborhood i currently live in mocambo that's africa baby even even the word to describe a person from Veracruz, the place I'm from, Jarocho, comes from a way that Afro-Mexicans were described as back in colonial times. So there wouldn't be Mexico if there weren't African people, as if there wouldn't be Mexico if there weren't Spanish people or indigenous people. Really, we are a mix of all three. Regardless of who you are in Mexico, you will have some sort of mix of all of them. 
which it's a, it's a really beautiful melting pot. And we always have to remember that there's that third root, if you mm. want to call it that way, that it's just as important as the other two. All right. Well, thank you for that, Luis. I, <laughs> I feel like I was set thank up. You. And with that, that's the episode for Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Thanks everyone for listening. No, my stories. I will be heard. Thanks everyone for listening. <laughs> this is off to such a chaotic start already. You know what? Let's let's embrace it. We're getting oh, wild man. today because I, I realized this after um, oh, I wrote boy. the two stories. But uh, the the through line here is uh, Ohio plays a big role in both these stories. So let's oh let's, no, can I bail out now? What do you have against Ohio? Ohio listeners, everybody, everybody listening. This was gonna be your episode, but Luis was trying to cancel it. Go ahead, Luis. Speak on Ohio. I- Silence. Ohio will be heard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No more tangent. We got to get to it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Luis, have you ever heard of the Columbus Musasadi Convention Center? I have not, no. Okay. Well, let me tell you a little bit of history about this very interesting building. So first, to tell you about this, I got to go back to 1976. Columbus, Ohio became sister cities with... Uh, the city of Mashhad, Iran, okay, in 1976. So that might seem like a strange pairing to you. So let me tell you how this came about, okay? By 1975, so the the previous year, the forces in Iran that were trying to overthrow and restructure the Iranian government. uh, So at that point, uh, Iran had uh, a monarch, the Shah, as well as a prime minister. There were a lot of forces that were sort of mounting a revolution. So the, the Shah... Uh, was understandably pretty worried about this. He uh, went to the United States and asked uh, basically if he could count on their support in the event of a revolution. It's not really clear whether he was asking just for diplomatic support, you know, just that they would still recognize his claim or if he was uh, asking for, you know, physical troops or military aid. But either way, he's basically asking for the U.S. government's friendship and he implies that he's willing to offer money for it. So because of the money, of course, the U.S. government is interested, but they don't want to look like they're openly selling favor so they end up coming up with uh, a number of ways that money can be kind of conspicuously moved from the Iranian government to the U.S. government little by little. One of the ways to do this that they come up with is using the system of sister cities. So the way this works is that the four largest Iranian cities will become sister cities with an American city, preferably one that needs some money for infrastructure. Then as soon as they become sister cities, they'll, uh, as a show of you know kinship or whatever, pour a bunch of Iranian government money into whatever the American sister city is into one of their construction projects or infrastructure or something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is how it comes to pass that Columbus, Ohio becomes sister cities with the city of Mashhad. And um, the project that the city of Mashhad funds is this new convention center that they're going to build. Uh, it's named the Columbus Musa Sadi Convention Center. Musa Sadi is the name of the mayor of Mashhad. People in Ohio don't really specifically know how to pronounce Musa Sadi. <laughs> they actually say Sadi, and then it ends up just kind of unofficially being shortened to the Sadi. It's just people refer to the nice. project as the Sadi, which very cool. Classic. I mean, <laughs> typical uh, Columbus yeah, happens. The construction on this convention center begins in October 1977. It's a massive project. It's going to be 5 million square feet in total. It's going to have two ballrooms, several showrooms, two auditoriums that can seat 200 people. It has a, it's going to have a Hilton hotel attached, so there will actually be like hotel rooms that people can stay in when they're there for a convention, uh, as well as four food courts. Four food courts. Four food courts. Count them. Oh, my goodness. That, I love America. The lap of luxury. <laughs> so this is a, a big deal for, for Columbus. But suddenly... Boom, suddenly, the Iranian hostage crisis happens. Oh, no, it always, always gets in the way, doesn't it? <laughs> Come on, tell me about <laughs> it. Just when you think the party's going well, all of a sudden, bam, Iranian hostage crisis. Bam, hostage crisis. So the, the, the hostage crisis was when revolutionaries stormed the U.S. embassy in Tehran and took 52 U.S. citizens hostage. All in all, they were hostage for about a year. But in response to this, the United States immediately put heavy sanctions on Iran. Most of those sanctions are actually still in place today. But the upshot of all this is because of the sanctions, all the cash flow stops. Because, of course, the U.S. government can't be taking money from the Iranian government in any form. Never. They've never done it, and they never will. They were definitely doing it just a second ago before the hostage crisis. <laughs> they, they will never take money from the Iranian government, so help me God. <laughs> <laughs> so this kind of leaves the, the Sadie in the lurch. 
because at this point, most of the skeletal structure of the building is completed, but there's not really a lot else. The food courts are slightly put together. The only thing that's really close to completion is the smaller of the two ballrooms. So at this point, it's essentially a construction site that has like one completed room. <laughs> the ownership of the Sadie also is a little bit complicated because it's unclear who really is responsible for it. It, it defaults to the city of Columbus because they're the only ones that you could make any argument for uh, having to take care of it. So this means for the city of Columbus, they don't have the money to finish this project because they weren't expecting to be paying for it. But now this construction site is in their possession. So they halt construction, but they still have to pay building costs to maintain it, uh, maintain safety codes, zoning codes, insurance, weatherproofing, if that's necessary. Uh, not to mention that they had to pay the construction crews and other maintenance workers who were working on it when this happened and were kind of left <laughs> hanging. Damn. They're hoping that the situation in, in Iran will resolve itself and then, then they can uh, just have them basically pick up where they left off but for the time being it's you know just just an empty construction site that's slowly taking money from them mm. Mm -hmm. So they come up with this plan that, look, we have one good room of a convention center. <laughs> what if we just rent that out? And we don't need a ton of money. We just need a little bit to offset the cost of this insurance and the weatherproofing and stuff. So we can we can do it for pretty cheap. We'll just we'll just rent out the one room of this convention center. The only problem is, is that if you're you know, it's not a not an ideal situation for anyone wanting to have a convention. And they're also offering it for cheap. So they kind of end up in this situation where they're like willing to rent it to anybody and everybody who would be interested in it. For the love of God, rent our ballroom. Yeah, please. So at this point, let me tell you the history of the usage of the Columbus Musasadi Convention Center, okay? So the first people... <laughs> this is very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Are you ready? <laughs> my, my favorite class in college. <laughs> So the first, the first time that, that this uh, convention center, which again is technically just one ballroom and a construction site gets rented, is 1981. Of course, it is rented by the Flat Earth Society. There's a Flat Earth Society. Naturally. Convention. Absolutely. Oh, that's yeah. lovely to hear. When you have the combination of convention that is cheap and will take anyone gotta be flat gotta earth, be right? gotta okay, be flat right? earth i mean it's it's yeah it, you know offering up your space as a cheap convention center it's like the shot heard around the globe which i guess for flat earth is counterproductive because they're not in big into globe but you know the shot heard from side to side of the square <laughs> of, the, of the plane we live in <laughs> Uh, the following year, 1982, the uh, convention center is rented by the North American Goat Preservation Society for their annual meeting. <laughs> they're, uh, I couldn't find a lot about them, but apparently they're just interested in preserving the goat population in North I mean, America. Wouldn't, wouldn't I, I didn't you, know that that was... Kurt? Well, yeah, but I didn't know that the goat population was under threat. <laughs> but I, I mean, I, I guess yeah. thanks to the North American Goat Preservation yeah, yeah, Society. Yeah. Yeah, round Kurt, of applause you know, for them. We still got goats. Yeah, you know why we're not talking about it because of this society. If they were, they're yeah. the silent heroes. They're the silent heroes of the story. Yeah, it's like like uh, why do, why do will we need Ghostbusters in real life when we don't have any ghosts? Like, well, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> The same year, there's um, this convention called OhioCon. So uh, it's OhioCon, sort of. Okay, there was this other convention in New York that was a really big fad in in the early '80s called ICON, and it was just where a bunch of college students from New York universities would get together to discuss and enjoy topics such as gaming, sci-fi literature, comic books, programming. So it was just kind of like a lot of interests that probably, if you have a couple of these interests, you'll like the other things too. Mm -hmm. Ohio uh, wants their own version, so they just add OH to the front of ICON, so now it's OhioCon. Oh my God. Seriously, Ohio is the place for creative genius. Why aren't we, I know, why aren't right? we tapping into the veins <laughs> of Ohio for the next Mozart, the next Van Gogh? <laughs> After that, the uh, next time that it's used is 1984, first by the DAFT, D-A-F-D Youth Coalition Convention. D-A-F-D stands for Drugs or for Dorks. It was like an early yeah. anti-drug outreach yeah. group. Very That's 80s. great. DAFT, Drugs are oh, for Dorks. Great. Yeah. Same year, it was used for the Arctic Apostles Enlightenment event. Okay. Uh, the Arctic Apostles used it for their Enlightenment event the following year, 1985 as well. The Arctic Apostles were this like kind of small group that believe the Garden of Eden is in Antarctica. Ooh. However, uh, it has been changed from a paradise to a frozen wasteland over time. 
I, I'm not exactly sure why they believe this. I do know that one common source of this belief is that there was this map dated from 1500s Turkey uh, that shows Antarctica with a tropical coastline. So a lot of people speculate mm. that a long time ago that it, it was like widely known that Antarctica was was tropical, but due to climate change or some sort of catastrophic event, the the mm. weather drastically changed. Anyway. Not important. The point is, they're trying to get permission to go on an Arctic expedition to find the Garden of Eden. You actually can't just like go to Antarctica if you want to. It depends on uh, who you are for who you have to ask permission. Sure. If you're a U.S. Sure. citizen, you need to get the U.S. government sign off to go to Antarctica. Right. So they're they're having these little annual meetings while they're working on getting permission to go to Antarctica. That's incredible. It seems like uh, sometime in 1986, the group kind of fizzles out. So uh, there's no no more. Unfortunately, no more of the Arctic that's a, apostles. You know, that's a shame. Story, for, you know, sorry to cut you off but i i think the antarctica garden of eden theory is great it's bang on you know it's better than what some people say that the garden of eden is in what missouri you know i like the fact well it is oh yeah it, it is it is in missouri uh, sorry yeah. sorry never mind i'm mistaken yeah. you can go on <laughs> <laughs> after that the next the next usage is uh in 1991 this guy named joseph backles rents the sadie for a time traveler meet and greet. Oh yeah. Uh, however, he advertises the party a week later. <gasps> uh, of course, no one shows up to it. That is great. Um, Luis, you may have heard a similar story attributed to Stephen Hawking doing this. Yes, of the party, party, the time traveling party. So that's that's actually an urban legend. Stephen Hawking didn't do it. it it's probably originating from um, this initial guy doing it, and then you know somebody figured out somewhere along the way it's more interesting if you have like a known figure doing it. So oh somehow God. it ended up getting attributed to Stephen Hawking. It's all in Ohio. But Why are all the main, main central all, events? It's Ohio? only ever it's been only Ohio. It's only ever been Ohio. <laughs> no. Oh man, man, I started this episode underestimating estimating Columbus, Ohio, but now I see it's it's the peak of civilization. Oh yeah. Just get ready, baby. We got so much more Ohio coming. No. Got, got just oh, just oh. a ridiculous amount of Ohio going on. Depending here. on who you are, that that sentence you just said is is direct torture or just the best sentence ever yeah. uttered. Some may say an alarming amount of Ohio. <laughs> oppressive amount of Ohio after that in uh, 1993 uh, the convention center was rented by the Franklin University Assassin Society so they also abbreviate their name uh, to just FUAS nice and it seems like when they went to the city to get permission to rent it they just like noted themselves as FUAS they didn't put where the Franklin University Assassin Society which probably was a lot of the reason why they got permission to to do it because Columbus didn't really know what they were getting into. Mm -hmm. They're um, this college club at Franklin University that has very serious fights with Nerf guns. Sick. They rented the convention center, but then afterwards they got in trouble because, of course, they didn't just stay in the ballroom for their Nerf fight. They used the whole construction <laughs> site. Uh, that's, inc that's incredible. I love that. In uh, 1999, of course, someone rented the convention center for a Y2K party, mm -hmm. but what may surprise you is that the Y2K party was thrown by, wait for it, the Midwest Flat Earth Society. Yes. Back, baby. Yeah. I don't know. If it's, I don't know if it's the same group because the other one was just the Flat Earth Society. This one's the Midwest Flat Earth Society, which, you know, now that I think about it, it seems like a downgrade. Does that mean <laughs> that they're flat earthers who live in the Midwest or are they flat earthers who only believe the Midwest is flat? Ooh, that's a great idea. So it's like, you know, that's I don't know if anyone ever thought of that before. But that's so it's like fun. a like a plate sitting on top of a basketball. Yeah, it's yes. <laughs> the little deflated part of, of the globe. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that that's yeah. that's why it's so difficult for anyone outside of the Midwest to go in. You just got to climb through mm -hmm. the edge, you know? Yeah. Uh, in 2006, anyway, <laughs> anyway <laughs> in 2006, uh, the convention center hosted the launch of a social media platform called FriendFeed. They wanted it to be kind of a viral launch. They thought that it might be like a little bit hipster to kind of have it in this old construction site. FriendFeed is, uh, was very similar to Facebook, almost exactly the same, except it uh, focused more on user-to-user -user messaging, but nothing really ever became of it. It didn't go very well. In fact, it was so unnoteworthy in the grand scheme of things that uh, mm. Facebook, when it first started, a lot of clones of Facebook, of course, popped up and they would mm -hmm. generally just buy them and then dissolve them so it's not something that they might have to worry about in the future right they never uh you know made an offer or considered or proposed buying friend feed so it wasn't like not even something they knew about on their radar <laughs> so uh, unfortunately for friend feed organization it didn't really take off 2007 a local band named pickle pizza tried to rent the sadie for a concert yes. but the city turned them down i think just because of um you know all the infrastructure they would have to add with the sound setup 
not not to mention for having a crowd, extra insurance and stuff. <laughs> and also, it, it seems kind of like after the last few people have rented it, you know, it also, it's it's like 15 years into the situation that they're trying to rent yeah, out the convention yeah, so, center. It's new mayor, all new city officials. They're kind of rethinking this whole plan. So wait, hold on. Th- this place is yes. still a construction zone? Well, the sanctions, I mean, literally until today, the sanctions are not lifted. Mm. So they're in this limbo because, right, but, but like because the, no one in the U.S. B- b- sorry, sorry. I apologize. But like the space has just been sitting there then like <laughs> like they haven't even put like a blanket over <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know i mean they they weatherproofed it and stuff they did stuff to uh-huh. try to stop it from like falling in on itself or at least like slow yeah. that process but you know it, it's again it's a massive project it's not something that the city of columbus can just like whip out the money right. for in their budget and i think up until recently there was still this like desperate hope that like you know, technically, if the sanctions are lifted on Iran, immediately it's their responsibility to finish paying for it. Sure, sure. So they're just kind of like holding out, hoping for that. But at this point, like I said, new mayor, new city officials, seems like kind of a bad idea. They're really rethinking the whole thing. Uh, all the way up to 2018, uh, it seems like they had made their decision. The city officially decides that they're going to demolish the ruined convention center uh, so they can start a new building no, project. the history. Oh, hang on, Luis. Hang on. Oh, man. Because before oh. they can start demolishing, they discover that there's a community of about 11 people living in the construction site. Yes. Three or four of them claim squatters' rights. Occupy the city. Yeah. So <laughs> this leads to a two-year court case. Eventually, the judge rules that the squatters can't reasonably prove that they resided there for more than 20 years, which is the minimum time uh, in Ohio for you to be able to invoke squatters' rights. Mm-hmm. So uh, in, in 2019, they are officially evicted. Plans for the demolition proceed. However, they were put on hold by a little thing that happened in 2020. Oh, man. You guessed oh, it. Jeez, don't remind COVID. me. So at this point, like, you know, right in this moment, the Sadie is still up because it's kind of in limbo. I mean, you know, like many things, it was put on hold indefinitely during COVID. Additionally, right now, Columbus is going through their uh, mayoral election. They're in the primaries right now. Uh So no one's going to, at least for the immediate moment, no one's going to do anything with it long term. I don't know if anyone knows what's going to happen. Wow. Listen, I think we should we should all continue just to pack our bags and move to the Sadie. I think that's the only way we can we can we can start fixing this issue. But I, I can't believe. So it's just kind of unfinished project that's Loki getting used, but at the same time not. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, I think I, I agree. Re- we should reject modernity, live in the Sadie, and, and embrace the Sadie. I think become we should- cave people in the Sadie. <laughs> <laughs> reject plato enter the cave what's the cave sadie convention center true true we should we should i think throw a, a convention of all conventions to to just we should have an alumni night of the sadie so every past convention have their convention at the same time but in like each corner and that's how we raise funds yeah how can we how, well here's the thing how can we provide uh combine this all into one convention it's the um convention to preserve the goats in the flat Antarctic tropical paradise live music by pickle pizza <laughs> invitations will be sent out a week after the convention. <laughs> See you there. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So that's, that's uh, obviously the end of the Sadie story. Cause we're up to, you know, we got all the way out. We started in 1975. We're up to this mm-hmm, very moment. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what do you think of all that, Luis? You know, I, I, I fear that we are straying dangerously close into blurring the line of fake and real events, Kurt. And I think we're both doing this. We're both playing with each other's feelings and sentiments. And I fear we're going to lose our minds by, by mm. bringing us this so close to now. However, that being said, God, I so wish this story is real. I am so rooting for the Sadie. We love an underdog story. <laughs> and, and listen, I mean, at least something got started with Iran with Twin Cities situation, you know, like like sister cities. Yeah. I found out very recently the city I live in is a, a sister city with Tampa Bay, Florida. And what has Tampa Bay ever given us? Nothing. No convention so, center. That's for sure. No com- not even a half done convention <laughs> so <laughs> at this point i'm like hell yeah columbus you deserve this you know you you need this i think it's 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 such a again i don't want to be mean to columbus but it's such an ohio thing to just say it's like all right we have this why not let's use it is it messy yeah. is it gross yeah whatever screw it it's functional that's nice i wonder if um the 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 mayor of mashad back in the 70s musa sadi i wonder if he knows all this has happened <laughs> i i don't even know if he's still alive but i wonder if he's i just thought of this if he's aware of like everything that's happened to the, the convention center that bears oh, his could name could you imagine someday some, some some he googles himself you know as we all do yeah. <laughs> 
And the first picture that comes up is a convention center, not him. Oh, imagine the blow to the ego, Kurt. Uh, you, uh, you pull up the picture, see, trying to see what people are saying about you, and they're just talking about flat earth. Oh, And pickle pizza. And pickle pizza. It's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. But, I mean, good for the Sadie if, if, if it's that popular. Hell, yeah. Go you, Sadie. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a story mm-hmm. of perseverance. I like it. Yeah. Very good. So, our next story, uh, I'm going to tell you about one of, arguably one of the most interesting players uh, baseball has ever seen, uh, a player named Rube Waddell. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, this is all the way back in the dead ball era of baseball. The dead ball era was this period in baseball between 1900 and 1919. Interestingly, I realized while researching some of this that we think of, like, uh, professional sports uh, as always being in the state that they are today or kind of similar. It, it's kind of interesting to look back back and realize like how long some sports have been around as professional sports and how much they've changed over the years to put in perspective how long ago the dead ball era was uh so i said is 1900 to 1919 Mm -hmm. in 1910 babe ruth was only 15 so that's like how long ago this was that we're talking At this point in time, there were only eight teams in the major league. Uh, previously, there had actually been more teams, but clubs struggled to keep money and players together for very long. I got interested in what were some of the like teams that, that failed in the 1800s. I have some some really funny team names that I would like to share with you, with your with your permission, please. Oh, oh absolutely. You know you don't need it, but yes. So number one, we have the Cleveland Spiders, Ooh. who hold the record for the worst winning percentage in MLB history. Oh, yeah. We're back to Ohio, baby. Oh, give it. Give oh, yeah. It. Hell, yeah. Ohio's all over this list. Okay. Pride, pride of Ohio, the Cleveland Spiders. Second, we have the Cincinnati Kelly's Killers, who were named after their Ooh. manager, Mike King Kelly. They were ultimately forced to disband because they kept getting arrested for playing on Sunday. Hell. Huh? <laughs> so... <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> So the city of Cincinnati used to have this rule that you couldn't have a professional sporting event on a Sunday. They basically just ignored this. Uh, half the time, it seems like they got away with it. The other half the time, they would all get arrested, so the game would get interrupted. Like, they would get arrested while playing, and then they'd have to reschedule their practices and further games because they got to get out of jail. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, So, yeah, that, that eventually put a lot of strain on, on the team, and they disbanded. Naturally, naturally, I would imagine so. Next one I have is the Chicago Orphans, uh, who would actually go on to one day become the Chicago Cubs. But, like, what an abysmal team name, the Chicago Orphans. You could even name your team the Chicago Sad Boys, you know, and that would be even better. But Chicago Orphans. Come on, dude. Yikes. And then, additionally, the next one is the Cleveland Infants. (laughs) Again with the children. I don't know why we're bringing children into this. This Saturday and this Saturday only, come watch the Orphans fight the children. Epic battle of... (laughs) The Infants. (laughs) Oh, sorry, sorry. Come see the Orphans and the Infants duke it out in a battle of... Yeah, tiny, really minuscule proportions. Strike fear in the the hearts of your opponents when they they hear the infant cry. (laughs) All of a sudden, the the stadium is all quiet, and you hear the chant, Orphans, 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 Orphans. And and then last, I have uh, the Wooster Ruby Legs, um, which, you know, I know now we have the Red Sox and the White Sox, right? Ruby Legs feels like someone doing a lot of work to not say Red Sox. But it was before the Red Sox were a thing. Like, you couldn't just say Red Sox. No, we're the the Ruby. They're like the great value brand. Red Sox. The Ruby Legs. Ruby Legs. Ruby Legs just sounds like a 1960s businessman just trying, like, using a euphemism for his secretary. Ooh, no. It sounds like like a a 1920s burlesque dancer. Ruby Legs. Ooh. Ooh. Welcome to the stage. Up next, we've got Ruby Legs. And it's like a little smooth jazz playing. Yeah. Oh, I'm so into that. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh, did you catch Ruby Legs yesterday at the Golden Saloon? Oh, yes, she's <laughs> lovely. <laughs> I don't know, Kurt. I've never been to Cleveland. <laughs> so that was just a few teams I wanted to share with you. Thank um, you. That was good. So people say baseball is boring now. In the dead ball era, baseball was extra boring. Um, Sweet. Mostly because no one could hit very well. And this is kind of for a combination of reasons. <laughs> one of them was that baseballs at this point in time were cheaply made uh, and the league didn't have very much money so they would use them until they were falling apart. Nice. They actually had a rule that if uh, a fan caught a foul ball, they had to throw it back <laughs> so they could keep using it. So they would like literally use the ball till the cover's falling off and like the inside bits are coming out. Times are tough. They also, uh, at this point in time, allowed sp- 
spitballs. I don't know how many people know this, but any kind of liquid or foreign substance on a, on a baseball uh, allows the pitcher to like make it move so much more. It's really hard to hit. Mm. Uh, it just makes it like mm-hmm. slippery. This is also made worse by the fact that most of the players in this time chewed tobacco. So it's not just spit. It's actually like yeah. darkening the baseball. Oh, yeah. And stadiums at this point in time didn't have any lights. So you have like a ball that's oh slipping goodness. all over the place. <laughs> and it's, you know, kind of probably a grayish black color in a stadium with no lights. Mm-hmm incredible they also added the uh foul strike rule uh so the way baseball works now is that if you hit a foul ball uh it can count for the first or second strike uh which gets you closer to striking out obviously before this era if you hit a foul ball it just meant nothing um so all <laughs> of a sudden batters, going <laughs> yeah you could you would just keep going and going and going forever uh so obviously to streamline the process they added this rule but it made it where hitters were striking out a lot more because now they're getting strikes when they were used to not getting anything oh, poor guys there's just an abysmally low number of home runs hit in this time one year the chicago white Sox hit only three home runs the entire season but they nearly won the pennant which is to winning the pennant <laughs> is to have the, the best record in the league so they were almost the best team in the league and they only hit three home runs uh which is just just kind of hard to picture yeah it, it what they what they lack in home runs they make up in attitude kurt they make up in, in children He's- mascots <laughs> In raggedy clothes, no lights, orphans and infants battling it out with Ooh, maybe, tobacco maybe that's, stained baseballs. Maybe that's the grift. They're like, you know, because they wouldn't, I don't know if they'd have team pictures, but maybe, maybe people really thought like the team was made up of infants and orphans. And they're like, oh, that'll be fun to go watch. Do you think Do you think that's what happened back in the day with sports teams? Do you think people really legitimately thought bears were battling <laughs> like cardinals Look, if that's if, if that's if that's the belief you know if you think that i would totally go watch the chicago orphans play the cleveland spiders <laughs> i mean that's gonna be a, a wild bunch of orphans one. versus spiders yeah but imagine if this applied to like recent teams like i don't think someone in i know 1920 is a long time ago and maybe it's not in the point where we are but i don't yeah. think anyone ever saw Ooh, i'm gonna see a bunch of magicians fighting jazz players when they went to go like when they were advertising a basketball game with the jazz versus the magic man like yeah it's a good point <laughs> So last thing about the dead ball era is that there's a, a lack of reliably recorded history. Kind of this is compounded by the fact that people are not really that interested in baseball because as I've been telling you, it's kind of boring at this time. But at this point in time, sports journalists were more trying to entertain than inform. <laughs> so it's hard to tell what's reliable information coming out of the era or not. Obviously, it's it's before there were a lot of like recordings with sound. Um, so even if there's stories where multiple sources are saying the same thing, it's hard to tell what's, what's rumor and what's true. It's kind of like this lost period of history for the sport. Board, right. Uh, which makes it really interesting. So this brings us to the story of Rube Waddell. His his uh, real name is George Edward Waddell, but he becomes known as Rube as a nickname because uh, he's he's kind of a slower, shall we say, guy. He's a really, really big, stocky, strong guy, but just um, has some oddities, which we're going to get to. How does, so, how, wait, hold on. How, how does Rube fit into that? Rube is, uh, I think, like, like an older nickname for someone who's like kind of an idiot. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So they're just calling him like, big dumb guy waddell nice nice oh by that yeah. metric i should have been known as rube mejia so he's born in 1876 uh he's described as quote a decidedly different sort of child uh at <laughs> Me the age too, of three man. he wandered off to- <laughs> i was gonna i knew you were gonna relate to that yeah <laughs> yeah decidedly different story that's the name of my autobiography unauthorized unauthorized yeah. autobiography <laughs> At the age of three, he wandered off to a local fire station and stayed for several days. Nice. He attended very little school. Uh, He strengthened his arm by throwing rocks at birds while working on his family farm. And he (laughs) also allegedly, (laughs) as one does, he also allegedly became quite strong by working on mining and drilling sites as a child, which, wow, it really was a different time. It's the early 1900s. Who wasn't at the mines? Yeah. Oh, but actually, at this point, it's even before that, because this he's born in 1876. Yeah, you know, when the when the canary in yeah. a mine shaft is just a ten year old boy. Used to be, yeah. Before they had canaries, they just had they had children. <laughs> so uh, his amateur career starts sometime around 1895. Uh, he's a pitcher. He shows a lot of talent and potential. He's uh, just kind of naturally really good at, at being a pitcher. However, there are some problems. He's just so, picturing birds. Well. I was going to say he's easily distracted, and it's not bird-related, but I think you are going to enjoy this. On one occasion, he left in the middle of a game to go fishing. He also... Okay. Yeah. He also had a fascination with fire trucks. On multiple occasions, he would run off the field to chase them when they passed the stadium. All right. Opposing fans discovered that if they would bring puppies or shiny objects to show Rube, he would leave the field to play with them. Spectators said that it seemed to almost put him in some sort of trance. Whoa. Uh, And later in his career, opposing players would buy new toys and lay them out on a blanket on the field to distract Rube to come and play with them. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Uh, Rube would also disappear for months in the offseason when they're supposed to be practicing. No one knew where he was going until it was discovered that he was wrestling alligators in a circus. I don't have any follow-up information on that, but... I'm legitimately speechless. I'm so speechless by all of this. Yeah, and we're not even to his professional career yet. This is just his amateur career. (laughs) Rube was said to be super eccentric and really difficult to get along with. He was also an alcoholic, uh, and the combination of his strange behavior and his drinking led to a lot of fistfights with teammates. Naturally. It also seems like he was a pretty terrible roommate, too. So (laughs) in this era, managers of teams would own apartments or, or an apartment building, and then the teammates would live together in pairs every roommate rube ever had hated him in fact one actually threatened to quit baseball unless management made rube sign a contract to stop eating crackers in bed wow (laughs) which like we've all we've all been (laughs) so this seems like a lot of downsides right so maybe you're wondering you know all all these bad things was rube worth it as a player Uh so let me tell you a little bit about like just exactly how good he was okay he had the lowest era in the national league for two years era is earned run average so it's uh, the average of how many runs a pitcher gives up in nine innings, okay? Okay. So Rube's lowest ERA ever was 1.48. So that means for that whole season, on average, in nine innings, he would only give up one and a half runs. Whoa. Okay? Wow. He had the most strikeouts yeah. in the American League six different years. Uh, he was the only pitcher ever to have back-to-back seasons with 300-plus strikeouts until Sandy Koufax did it in 1965. Wow. Uh, he threw the second-ever immaculate inning. Uh, an immaculate inning means that there were only nine pitches, so it was nine pitches, nine strikes. So he got all three strikeouts wow. right away. It, it shows, like, with no help from, you know, the batters making mistakes or the fielders, the pitcher did it all by themselves, nine pitches, in and out, done. Interesting. He was, of course, inducted into the Hall of Fame, and he was so good, in fact, that he liked to show off some times by telling the fielders to go to the dugout early or even to not come out at all uh, (laughs) on a couple occasions even for like the last three innings of the game so the last three innings he would just tell the fielder don't come out i'm just gonna strike everyone out wow he only did this in exhibition games there's a a rule for league play that you have to have nine men on the field (laughs) however he did on one occasion have uh, in a league game the outfielders come in and sit by the mound uh, the, the pitching mound to watch him strike out the last three batters of the game oh my god so he was really, really uh, a phenomenal pitcher. He just had all these sure, problems sure. off the field. He started his professional career in 1897. Uh, he signed a contract with Louisville and was paid $500. He pitched uh, two league games with them, which were his first professional games. Allegedly, he spent his entire signing bonus on alcohol within the next 24 hours. Nice. Very cool. And after this, Louisville really liked him and he's super talented, but they quickly realized that he's a lot to deal with. So it starts this cycle of Rube being moved from team to team being either suspended or traded uh, or a lot of times in those days what they call loaned out to another team which means he's still under Louisville's contract but they'll send him to maybe a team in California for a while to play and practice mm-hmm. a little bit but at the end of the day he still plays for Louisville when they need him yeah. but for, for Rube you know they would do this a lot of times to develop players but for Rube it would just be like we don't want to deal with this guy for like a month so send him somewhere else <laughs> So he's just bouncing around from team to team, getting loaned, suspended, kicked off, traded. Finally, in uh, 1900, the Milwaukee Brewers manager, who is a man named Connie Mack, asked Rube to come pitch a few games. Uh, most notably, he pitched a doubleheader in August 19th. The doubleheader means uh, they play two baseball games in the same day. The first game, Rube pitched 17 innings and hit a walk-off triple to win the game. Walk-off means uh, that it scored like the winning run of the game, so there's no reason to keep playing because you've already mm-hmm. won. 17 innings is an insanely long game yeah. um yeah, wow. you know normally it would be nine innings 17 innings is more than they would ever let a pitcher throw uh, in a modern game just because of like the fear of permanent damage to someone's sure, arm sure but uh in uh, 1900 the uh manager offered rube uh, so the manager connie mack offered rube a three-day fishing trip to pitch the second <laughs> game rube agreed and pitched a shutout which means uh the opposing team did not score a single run so he pitched 17 innings hit a walk-off triple and then pitched another nine innings where they never scored any runs my god that poor man's arm. I know. Jeez. Well, he's thrown so many rocks at birds. You don't understand, Luis. I mean, it's <laughs> he's just it, so strong. It, it makes a permanent clacking noise every single time he he moves. Yeah, he's got he's got to oil it. Yeah, yeah. It, it just sounds like you're pulling like an old timey lever every single time. It sounds like you're opening a medieval castle gate every single time he throws a he throws a ball. Yeah. 
it, it sounds like you're pulling the handbrake in a car every single time he throws he throws a ball. It just goes crank. <laughs> yeah, it's creaky. So Connie Mack recognizes that Rube is super talented, uh, but much like a lot of other teams, one year later, 1901, he's fed up with him and he suspends him. Again, Rube bounces around between various lesser known teams who are willing to put up with him until they get fed up with him. Finally, two years later in 1902, the Philadelphia Athletics are desperate for pitchers. Their manager is Connie Mack. He's now working for the Philadelphia Athletics. He hears that Rube is pitching for a semi-pro team in California. So he sends two Pinkerton agents, uh, Pinkerton is a uh, private eye investigating agency, to find Rube and sneak him out of California back to Philadelphia so he can play for them. <laughs> so they said, like, we need a pitcher. We know there's a guy in California. Let's just go steal him. Let's go. Yeah, let's go get him. Yeah. Yeah. He, Rube has a record setting year pitching for Philadelphia. Additionally, in 1902, Connie Mack is working on this project to have a Philadelphia athletics football team. And he has Rube come try out. Rube tackles the team's quarterback so hard that he breaks his leg. And apparently violently enough that Connie Mack and the other coaches realize how dangerous the sport could potentially be. And it kind of makes them reconsider the whole venture. I mean, Rube just floored this guy so much. They're like, oh, wow. One human can do a lot of damage to another human. <laughs> I love, I love, I love that they they went to hire this guy and they came out of it with a with just an inner fear of the sport yeah yeah Yeah. they came in very hopeful for new talent they came out of it traumatized yeah yeah he he tackled him so hard that they said like maybe we should just quit everything (laughs) should we go on with this sport unclear yeah. In the following years, Rube occasionally played for a few semi-pro football teams. And also he briefly was a goalie for a soccer team in St. Louis, which oh. I think is kind of interesting. Wow. Renaissance man. Speaking of other hobbies, in 1903, this is while he's still playing for the Philadelphia Athletics. There's so much happening. Rube toured the country performing in a play called The Stain of Guilt. What? So... <laughs> The interesting thing about this play is that the other actors pretty quickly realized that Rube couldn't remember his lines. So they let him improvise all his lines for every performance. The play was actually critically acclaimed and became kind of famous for the scene in which Rube would pick up the actor playing the villain and throw him across the stage like a rag doll. Okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This man, this man is like a... It's like a sporting world Forrest Gump. He's seen everything. He's done everything, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's just <laughs> runs and keeps running. And yeah, what's he, really he doing is. now? Oh, he's in some bayou somewhere fighting an alligator. Like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. Well, just wait till you hear this, because the same year as this play, I mean, 1903, real bang-up year for Rube, okay? Because he's playing for the Philadelphia Athletics. He does mm-hmm. this play where he's throwing the guy across the stage. Uh, he okay. also saved a woman from drowning. Sure. Accidentally shot his friend in the hand oh. and was bitten by a lion eventful year yeah really so you know <laughs> he's that hot boy summer for sure <laughs> yeah. you see what we didn't mention is that this all happened on the span of three hours yeah. <laughs> just one wild weekend <laughs> it, was, it was a crazy bender oh man a great spring break that year <laughs> uh, additionally he's got a lot of run-ins with just like him doing weird heroic things or just ending up in strange disaster situations uh in 1905 there was this <laughs> no in between yeah really <laughs> Uh, in 1905, there was this uh, oil-burning stove in a department store that fell over. Rube picked up the stove and carried it outside before it could start a fire, which seems like not the most effective way to solve that problem, but it's the Rube way to solve that <laughs> problem. Just pick up the whole stove and throw it outside. <laughs> so now we fast forward a little bit to 1910, okay? This is 13 years into his professional career now. Uh, Rube's drinking and strange behavior has gotten a lot worse. He's getting in more fights with his teammates. Arm is creakier than ever. His arm is just it's so so deteriorated his arm his arm is barely looks like an arm should be falling off of its hinge currently. yeah yeah at this point he's on his third marriage and it's not going very well which is leading to even more drinking mm-hmm. finally after rube passes out in the middle of a game that he was pitching he gets suspended and he never pitches another major league game Whoa. after this his health declines pretty quickly it gets worsened by two cases of pneumonia uh one of them he gets from helping save people during a flash flood in kentucky eventually he contracts tuberculosis and all in all four years after being released from professional baseball in 1914 rube died 
in a sanitarium at the age of 37. He was only 37. He was only 37. Wow. Yeah. Oh, the life this man led in those 37 years. Yeah. My goodness. So there's definitely some some interesting stuff to talk about. Uh, just as far as like like what was the deal with Rube? Because <laughs> obviously, <laughs> let's start there. What was his deal? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on? What's happening? This here? is before the time period where people would be you know getting diagnosed with ADD or with an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think it seems like he had ADD and maybe a couple other things. Sure. Um, researching this, I thought a lot about uh, this modern player whose name is Zach Grinky. He's uh, currently a pitcher for the Royals. He was a, a really major prospect. He was the number one pitching prospect for several years, six-time All-Star. He had also had the lowest ERA in the league in uh, 2009. But he had all these uh, problems kind of similar to, to what Rube had going on. Uh, for example, he uh, considered or attempted to quit Major League Baseball to become a golfer, a tennis player, or a garbage man. So this is several different times that he Wait. tried to quit. Okay, sorry. Um, when you when The way you mentioned that it, it's like, oh, he did this, this, or that. Like, he quit and said, this is what I'm going to do. And he wasn't yeah, clear wasn't on like, what he was doing. It wasn't like he was <laughs> picking one of them. <laughs> he, he no, went, it was like he went to the Royals management and like, I'd like to quit and become a golfer. And they're like, no. And then he'd come back. What blah, about blah, 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 tennis? Now I'm going to quit and become a tennis no, player. No, no, no. Hear me out. Garbage. <laughs> In 2006, he uh, quit for most of the season to mow lawns Okay. Um, before coming back. He once called a timeout during a game to discuss fantasy sports with his catcher <laughs> when he was originally brought up to the major leagues. So uh, before you're in major league baseball, there's what they call the minor leagues, which is where you're technically getting paid to do it, but it's kind of more like trying out to see how well you can play on a, on a world-class level. So getting going from the minors to the majors is a big deal because it's like, that's the moment you've made it, okay? Mm-hmm. So he's only 20 years old. He gets called up to the majors. Uh, and the first thing he says is like, could he go back down to the lowest level of minor league baseball and learn to be a shortstop instead of a pitcher? It, it would be the equivalent of like getting signed as a country artist and saying like, uh, actually, can I become a jazz artist instead? <laughs> <laughs> he is known to sleep in his locker before games. Interesting. Uh, he's very open about that he hates interacting with anyone. In fact, during COVID, when they had the stadiums empty, he would go sit in the stands alone instead of sitting in the dugout. He's frequently in conflict with other players, teammates, coaches. Just seems like generally hard to get along with. He was uh, diagnosed with social anxiety disorder and depression, which I think maybe gives like some interesting insight into maybe what some of the stuff going on with Rube was. I, you know, I don't know what exactly it was because it's hard to speculate about something that happened so long ago but it seems like maybe he had uh, some sort of attention disorder but also I think it's it's interesting to realize that just because someone is a world-class athlete doesn't mean they're cut out to be in the public spotlight or under so much scrutiny or attention sure. you know we normally I mean, think just of look like, at me <laughs> which which one are you world world-class athlete or cut out to be in the spotlight uh, well you know as, as an Emmy award-winning podcaster Kurt. oh my god here uh, we go <laughs> yeah. no go, go ahead uh, no. <laughs> wow, power move. Maybe I'm not cut out to be a podcaster either, Kurt. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's I think it's just interesting to think about that yeah. Rube is not maybe as much of an anomaly as we think of because there are all, are all types of people out there who are world class skill at something. Sure. But at the same time, they either have you know some sort of tension disorder or anxiety disorder, or maybe they're just not someone who can really function very well sure. under you know so much scrutiny and having to deal with so many people. Yeah, and especially in a like you said, something that gives you so much spotlight or, or such a such a big yeah. focus on oh, what's your every move and things of the sort. I mean, I don't know how the situation was back in yeah. the early 1900s, but I imagine. I mean, the celebrity in whatever case always comes with a bunch of baggage that not everyone necessarily wants to assume, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Rube didn't really want to be a baseball player, but then realized that that's one of the things he's really good at. He should have been a fireman, I think. He's got he's got really a thing for fire trucks. Yeah, I mean, if he's got the strength if he's got like the resolve and, and and physical fitness that he seems to have like maybe maybe he just he just fell into baseball and said well this is safe this is comfortable maybe I'll keep doing it and who knows now I'm just speculating and I actually don't know if this story is real but I'm just gonna make speculations now and pretend it's real for the moment mm. I mean you could even say that maybe doing baseball is not what he wanted and maybe it led to his death I don't know you know but no oh, interesting that's 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 pretty wild go Rube yeah. Team so what do you think of those, Luis? Uh, you know that story. That story is is pretty interesting. It had a, it had a nice arc. You you placed it well, Kurt. That was, that was good. Um, mm. I feel like like you're right. Like early early baseball seems to not have. I mean, like you said, baseball now is still very slow. I can only imagine how it was back then yeah. too. And just to have these, it seems like we had more of these eccentric celebrities back in the day than now. You know, like back in the day, you had singers and 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 Broadway stars that were moonlighting as like shoe shiners. 
alligators. I don't know. Like wrestling alligators. Wrestling alligators. You know, they had the, <laughs> they had their little hobby of going to a farm every other week and just shooting jackrabbits. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it, it. It really seems like a celebrity of his time. Yeah. I really, I really enjoyed. And plus, I know mm-hmm. that you know baseball and enjoy baseball and played baseball, Kurt. So the fact That's that true. there's a lot of detail here that I know you know, mm-hmm. and this is gonna be very difficult to 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 chew out mm-hmm. well shall we move on to that phase i think we shall i think we shall move on to one of our most hated parts of this process which is deliberation okay so let me remind you Luis. the first story was yes please the regaling tale of the musa Saadi columbus <laughs> convention center the <laughs> building project that got left a little bit in the lurch because of the sanctions on iran that was rented to just everybody and anybody including two flat earth societies <laughs> pickle pizza local band the arctic apostles and the North American Goat Preservation Society. All the greats. Who are just doing great work. All the stars. All the greats. The second story was the story of Rube Waddell, a very unique baseball player who chased fire trucks, was distracted by puppies and shiny objects, threw someone across the stage in a play (laughs) in which he improvised his lines and ultimately died of tuberculosis after a record-setting baseball career. Oh, man. Okay, let me... uh, I need to sit up for this one. Okay, so this decision's so difficult. We gotta have good posture for that's it. That's true. That's true. I gotta, I gotta make sure, <laughs> make sure I'm sitting right for it. Okay, so the Sadie. Let me talk about that one real quick. Mm, the Sadie. I find that story very compelling, mostly because it's so low stakes, right? The, 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 there, are, there are close to none, no, no stakes in in both of those. In, in that story, I mean, because it's just about a convention center. It's just a list of fun things that have happened there. And here's what I'm thinking, Curtis. You are really good at coming up with events. You're really good at coming up with things, things that are happening. So Thank I can you. I can Thanks. picture you. No, yeah, yeah, this is good. So I can picture <laughs> you sitting down in a room saying, you know, what kind of event would, would a convention center like this hold? Ah, maybe the, the, the Flat Earth Society. And then saying, okay, well, what's another? Com- oh, maybe another Flat Earth Society, but it's the Midwest chapter. <laughs> but it's know? the Y2K party I, Flat I Earth like, Society. Oh, a local band. What would be the local band's name? Pickle Pizza. Um so that's what I'm thinking about on that one. However, I, res- I respect that you're immediately crediting me for thinking of pickle pizza. I appreciate yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not a- not even that that I made up the story and went out and like found the band name Pickle Pizza. Just that I'm like, like, what's a band name? Pickle, oh, pizza. pickle pizza. Oh, yeah. You didn't even think yeah. about it. it. You were just sitting one day and you said, oh, of yeah. course, naturally. Pickle Pizza. Had that one ready to go. Yeah. You've been we're sitting on that one for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been waiting to use that one. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it's such a quotidian story, such a day to day, like I said, low stakes story. Mm-hmm. That's what's kind of pushing me to say it's also real just because it's, it's so down to earth. Like, like I could see mm-hmm. that happening in my hometown. Hell, I'm sure it's happening in my hometown currently, you know? Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we've got Rube Waddell. I was about to say Rube Goldberg. Rube Waddell, who, like I mentioned earlier, I know you know a lot about baseball. I know you could talk at length about baseball and I know you know just enough about baseball to make things up about baseball and make it believable, which here, that's what's causing me issues. That's the conundrum. Not only that, both stories you've referenced right now. Like, you've referenced 2020 in both stories. And that's true. That's it's comforting. I'm you don't like that. You don't you don't like this podcast intersecting with your I, it's, life it's at all. coming too close to reality, Kurt. And I'm going to accept <laughs> a lot of this as truth. And when when you tell me it's not, I'm going to be shattered. <laughs> This was like uh, last episode when I was saying I'm just going to base it all on whether or not I think you would have thought of the God's Love Farm or not. You're basing all this on, is it more likely that I came up with pickle pizza or with a baseball player who chases fire trucks? That's the, <laughs> that's the thing, Kurt. Like, I can see you coming up with both. That's the issue. You're doing better than what I failed to do last time. <laughs> you you did what I should have done, which is make two believable stories that I would have come up with. Oh, mm. no, Kurt, I'm upsetty spaghetti at this. My goodness. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, right. I, I am freaking out. Um, okay. Oh, man. Okay. So I'm going to, to, again, I think I'm going to go with my gut with the first story being fake because of the low stakes into it. Usually I would pick the low stakes story to be the real one because it's the one where you're like, okay, this just seems like something. Of course, you know, but I, but I, again, just the thought of you mm. of you sitting in a room saying flat Earth society fighting Midwest flat Earth society. 
society. That just makes me laugh a lot. And I and I and I think maybe you did this to throw me off, but the analysis you did at the end of potential back diagnosing whatever issues or or, or recognizing whatever uh, past historical characters may have been going through, it seemed rather genuine, mm. Kurt. So if it wasn't genuine, I am going to uh, lose a little faith in you um, as as a person. Oh, remember the uh, the the prospector story? I I back diagnosed how he lived. I understand. And you said when you when you missed missed that one you said that that was like one of the things that got you was that i had like a medical explanation that i'd made up you know i'm i'm willing to trust in your integrity as a person and i want to live in a bright world (laughs) where there's a baseball team named the orphans chicago orphans so (laughs) i am going to say that's the true story the rube waddell story is the truth you're attributing pickle pizza to me i am giving you the honor of coming up with pickle pizza very cool very cool well, I will claim pickle pizza. I am the originator of pickle pizza. Yes, that is the fake hey. story. Wow, you really, I swear you you clickbait me every time because you act like you're going to miss it. And then at the last second, you're like, so I'm going with my gut and it's this one. And I'm like, it is that one. Here's the thing, Kurt. I am just literally telling you what I was thinking. So that's how my mm-hmm. brain works. I, I seem to I seem to clickbait myself on ah. the daily. Why do you I'm, think I always have a confused I'm sorry face? you have to live like this, Luis. <laughs> oh, I live like a scared chihuahua. 24 7 i don't know what's happening <laughs> okay so so you got it before we move further anymore let me let me uh clear uh stephen hawking's name the time traveler party thing stephen hawking did do that obviously mm-hmm. i just completely made up the other one mm-hmm. uh, i i feel i always feel weird about like putting false facts or like saying the true facts are false in my yeah. made up story because i'm like i don't want to be spreading <laughs> misinformation you know, just a, a light amount of misinformation yeah but uh so yeah this is misinformation uh, the podcast uh, kurt exactly but yeah stephen hawking did have <laughs> A, a time traveler party that he sent out invitations for after it had happened. I will say the way you said that was incredible. That was comedy gold. That was know, so isn't, good. That's just such that was a so, mess. The way the way through, you, yeah. you you said the oh yeah the invites were sent one week later. Incredible. That that was that was. Yeah. I will say that comedy gold. You you win the comedy award uh, on this thank one. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> So other than that, um, obviously the you know the background information mm-hmm. stuff about Iran and the hostage crisis and stuff that's all true. But but other than that, it's completely made up. There was no <laughs> sister city scheme. There was no no money going from one government to another. No convention center. All the uh, organizations I I made up for the most part. A couple of them were based on real things mm. like the uh, the Nerf Gun Assassin Society. That was a real club in a in a different college. Yeah, yeah. Or um, Icon, the the New York one uh, with the game. That's real. But there is no Ohio Con. But it totally oh, seems like you, something that would you exist, made up right? Ohi- that does I seem like I made up something. Ohio Con. I know, oh, right? Oh, that was inc- that's great, Kurt. Oh, that's wonderful. There's no there's no Arctic apostles. <laughs> uh, I did find out that some people apparently do believe the Garden of Eden is in Antarctica, which oh, wow. is crazy because I just made that up. No. Um, the map thing is is true. I actually like mentioned the Arctic apostles to someone. They're like, oh, because of the map. And I was like, huh? Whoa. <laughs> this religion that I made up. <laughs> <laughs> Hey. And and yes, I will it's, it's, I will proudly claim pickle pizza. Uh, incredible. That's, that's all me, baby. Kurt, about the Arctic Apostles, I think that's just divine inspiration. You know, we've all hearing it. We're yeah. hearing the voice of whatever God is calling down to yeah. you saying this. And I'm so happy you made up yeah, pickle pizza. Exactly. Did you just have a moment of, of, of revelation of thinking, you know what? Pickle pizza. Pickle pizza sounds like a so, good thing. So, n- no lie, this is what I did. I just like looked up a list of local bands in Ohio from the 2000s <laughs> and just like read through all of them and then just closed my eyes and thought like, I'm an Ohio local band. What would I name myself? Pickle Pizza. Pickle Pizza. Baby. Pickle Pizza. Great. Yeah, it's it incredible. feels it feels really right. It feels really right. There's uh, a really yeah. good ska band called Skanking Pickle. So there it is. See, it's, it's very close. Like I I would see Pickle Pizza in concert happily. Oh, that was good, Kurt. Yeah. So the so Rube Waddell, the yeah. whole story's wow. true. You can uh, sleep all night knowing that there was Chicago orphans, Cleveland spiders, whatever <laughs> else. In ridiculous. Here. That's so ridiculous. I know. Uh, <laughs> who who that, came that, up with who, this? Yeah. Who said? Who said? I'm gonna have a professional baseball team. Uh, what shall we call it? What shall we call it? Name it the first thing you see. Turn to your right. There's a local orphanage. Bunch of just orphans covered in grime. And you said, Oh, that's a team right there. There it is. <laughs> it looks. Like a small Victorian child, like a chimney sweep, just a bunch of children <laughs> covered covered in soot, and everyone just says, "You know what? This would be a great baseball name." But yeah, all in all, it's a it's a pretty wild story. That's a lovely um, story. I love that. R- really interesting is uh is you know fans of baseball probably have heard of the Cy Young Award before. It's uh, just just an award given every year to whoever's considered to have like have had the best pitching performance. So it's it's an award for pitchers, mm-hmm. uh, named after Cy Young, who was a 
really major pitcher around the same time as Rube Waddell. Interestingly, Cy Young and Rube Waddell had pretty similar stats. Okay. They they seemed like they were about equally as good. But Rube Waddell, because of his strange behavior and kind of bouncing on from team to team and having a little bit of a tragic career, basically has been like erased from the history books. Hmm. So for baseball fans, Cy Young is like a household name. Okay. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting to like Rube Waddell's strange history. Yeah. You know, kind of like, yeah, like, like wrote him out of the picture. And it's like, I'm telling you, like he seems like his times uh forrest gump almost you know yeah he, he, he really he does. really he went through all of it he did the whole thing you know yeah he did he did everything he did everything it's it's, it's, it's a, such a strange combination of carrying a burning oil stove and getting bitten by a lion yeah. and wrestling yeah. alligators and chasing fire trucks yeah incredible real real wild ride that's i i just looked up pictures of rube waddell my goodness that man looks like every single description you you did in this podcast i i urge <laughs> i urge all of you to look up pictures of rube waddell my god it's insane how square his jaw is i was about I, to say he's so he's solid. got the most powerful jaw I've ever seen on a man. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh, you could you could split a rock with that thing. You could you could fight a bunch of alligators with that. <laughs> yeah, you could jaw. wrestle an alligator. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Incredible. Kurt. So what is what does that bring our score to now? Okay, so we were four to seven. Now I add another point to me, Kurt. So we are four to eight. Uh, me in the lead. Oh, getting mighty close to that. Mighty 10. close to that ten. Once we reach ten, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a time and a half. But, uh, I know we're pretty soon. I think gonna have to announce what what happens if some somebody, somebody gets the ten. Somebody. We all know who it's gonna be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Kurt. I mean, if, if if last episode is showing us something, is that maybe maybe the tide is turning? We'll see. Who knows? You never know. Anyway, <laughs> I'm glad I could share these these two stories with you, Luis, as well as the the. Thank combination you. of words pickle pizza i hope everyone listening oh, also God. enjoyed the combination of words pickle pizza if you want to hear more stuff i can't promise there'll be more midwest ohio band names but there'll be more fun stuff <laughs> uh, if you'd like more content feel free to follow us on instagram uh, at unbelievable pod we're also on twitter at unbelievable pc our podcast is available on spotify apple Podcasts, google Podcasts. if you like us give us a review or tell your friends about it either both we'll take whatever publicity yeah we will uh, we're begging for it we're, we're, yeah. we're we, we are busker sitting outside of the metro station with our hat it's just sitting there so empty waiting for your love you would not believe how desperately Luis and i want to do this as a job <laughs> <laughs> I, I call kurt often crying about this uh very thing so if you want to stop kurt's suffering of hearing me call him every fortnight crying about this well do us a favor and give this give this a listen and a review <laughs> i really appreciate that you didn't say stop your suffering like we're all aware you're going to be calling me crying oh absolutely no matter what but at least i won't have to hear about yeah. it because of the podcast you'll still be crying yeah, it will be no just one what, less yeah. one less stressor uh, I, I still have plenty yeah anyway thank you everyone for listening see you next time see ya